the Farm Advisory Service podcast. Audio advice on livestock, crops and soils, environment, rural business and more. Brought to you in association with the Scottish Government. Hello and welcome to the first of this week's episodes. I'm Ross McKenzie. In this episode, consultant Robert Ramsey is in conversation with Cami Wilson, a new entrant sheep farmer, about his systems, mentoring and his farming experience so far. Having started out five years ago, Cami has developed a simple grass-based sheep system, which allows him time away from his business to work as a contract shearer, social media influencer and part-time policeman. Over to you, Robert. Welcome to this Farm Advisory Service New Entrance Programme podcast. Uh, I'm Robert Ramsey, I work as a beef consultant and I'm joined today by Cameron Wilson, who is, among many other things, is a new entrant sheep farmer. So, Cami, how are things going today? Hi, Robert. Thanks for having me on here. Quite excited to do this. I've not done a podcast before. Things are great today for a good spell of weather. Got some hay line at the moment. Something a bit different for me. I know nothing about grass, so I won't pretend that I do. Branching into arable farming, it's good to see. Can you tell us a bit about your story? So, what, what at the moment, what does your business look like? So, I'm, as you said, I'm a new entrant farmer. I've been keeping sheep now for this will be my fourth year, I believe, coming into keeping sheep. Currently, I'm running around 550 breeding sheep with a recent purchase and some other purchases in the horizon looking to put that up to maybe near the 800 mark. Should have enough ground about me now to, to carry them through the winter, which is obviously the difficult part for keeping sheep is having enough forage for the ewes through the winter. So we're looking quite good for that this year and hoping to get the numbers to be 800. Having sort of just built them up steadily over the last four years, well, I say steadily, they've went up maybe ridiculously over the last four years, but that's where we're sitting just now. Yeah, yeah. And so do you own, own any land or is that all on grasslets? So I own absolutely nothing. It's all grasslets. In fact, it's apart from maybe 50 acres, that most of it is on just seasonal lets. So there's no real security there, as you know. And it's just a case of it renews every year. And just any year, it could just be a case of, you know, we're selling the land off or we're going to do something else with it. Yeah. There's always that in your mind when you're when you're working, you're putting your sheep numbers up, that things could change quite quickly. And some of those are uh, larger pieces of ground. You know, there's 120 acres I've got there from the forestry. They do that great uh, thing for for new entrants, the starter farm type idea, where they put public loan land out for new entrants. So I have 120 acres for them. So it's not a 10-year starter farm, it's just a, a rented block? Yes, I say starter, starter farm, that might uh, the incorrect term. But really, for, for new entrant farmers, obviously they make this publicly owned land available to rent. I think that was something the Scottish Government brought in. You'd be better first uh, on that than me. However, I applied for it, put an application and actually did it with yourself. And it's yeah. now at that point where, you know, looking forward that you could easily lose that 120 acres. Does the, the lack of security, is that a, does that bother you? Is that a, a real worry or is that almost an opportunity as well? Does that allow you to move on? I think I've found recently there seems to be there's opportunities there. I think I'm in a fortunate position where 
I go to a lot of farms and see a lot of people through both, you know, obviously my shearing, I do shearing contracting and, and shearing for, for boys around, around Ayrshire and other parts of the country, as well as the sheep scanning, the pregnancy scanning. So I, I meet a lot of people. You hear a lot of things, you find out about a lot of bits of ground. A big thing I always say to people when they're asking about how they're getting ground or how to get started, and my opinion, the biggest thing is like networking. It's like you're never going to find out about the ground if you're not, you know, networking. But whether that's your young person, you've got young farmers, or you're working on farms, or you're going to the market and you're speaking to people and, and let people know what your intentions are, and you're looking for a bit of ground, you're maybe wanting to get a start, and you never know, something might come up. Uh, that's that's what I always tell people. So I've been very fortunate with opportunities like that, just being at the right place at the right time, hearing about bits of ground. So I have ground. It's not crazy spread out, but it's pretty well spread out around the usher. And it doesn't worry me too much. I mean, I, I might have about a well, I do have about 11 or 12 holdings, which is obviously a nightmare for my books, but it's another story. Yeah. The good thing with that, that I think, is that I could lose a bit somewhere and it's not the end of the world. Yeah. It's, it's yeah. almost as like I've got I've got my say like I've got my bet spread almost. Imagine it as if like you're playing really and you miss, but like I've almost got my bet spread that it's across so many different holdings that I could lose a section and it's not the end of the world. Opposed to, as that's opposed to me having say a block of five hundred acres, which like, that doesn't come up very often in a seasonal let, but for example, a large block of ground and then just one year all of a sudden I lose all that, it's a disaster because that's think- all I'm working with. To me, it also gives you that opportunity. So, as you see, it's a logistical nightmare having that number of holdings and holding numbers and tag numbers and all kinds of things. But it also gives you the chance to to walk away as well. You, you're not solely reliant on one poor landlord. You know, if you're not happy, if the relationship's not right, you can get out of that as well. So, it works both ways. Exactly, and that has been the case on occasion. Thankfully, not very often, but I have had that situation. And I was fortunate enough that, yeah, as you say, I could walk away and you're not tied into anything for an extended period of time. You're obviously quite a significant sheep farmer now. You're, you'll be well above the, the kind of national average. Or is there much more to Cammy Wilson? Is there a additional income? What, what else do you do? Well, that's, <laughs> that's another big um, a big part. But I suppose it's something that I always tell people as well when they're talking about getting started in sheep or farming in general. I always say about getting started in sheep because to me, and, and I think you're of the same opinion, sheep is the the easiest and, and maybe the, the most initial startup costs for getting into farming. And that's my opinion. Um, and I just think if the finances sort of back up, you want to get into cattle, you're going to need, you know, machinery and uh, yeah. housing and all sorts of stuff. So, Sheep is a cheaper way to get into farming. The sheep's what I know, so it worked well for me. But I do tell people if they think they can just buy some sheep, if you think you can just go buy 50 or 100 sheep and live off it, then you're dreaming. Like, it takes a it takes a lot, to, especially when you're renting ground and you don't own any and you might not be getting any subsidy. It takes a lot of sheep to, to make money. So I was fortunate that I had this additional income through working as a police officer. So we got to it there. So working yep. as a police officer, I've been doing that for 12 years since I was 18. Essentially, went straight out of school into the police. Having come from a farming background, my father was a shepherd. So I'd, I'd been working with sheep all my life. And I went into this just sort of randomly, actually. Uh, I was meant to go to university, and it was going to be a case of running up big debts, and I'd need to get a job in the city for the type of thing I was going for. 
I thought, I'll go try the police, see what happens. And I just turned up for an interview with no preparation uh, and winged it somehow. And a key part for me was this additional income because there's no way I could have made a living off a sheep. Uh, so you're you're still, you're full-time with the police? Fortunately, now I've actually been able to drop my hours. So I was full-time up until two years ago. And I started shearing sheep quite late. Um, I suppose you could say I'm quite, quite passionate about sheep shearing. It's my favourite thing to do. I absolutely love it. Mm-hmm. And I started quite late. I started when I was 23, so I'm 30 now. So at 23 years old, I started shearing. The first couple of years, I just kind of getting a feel for it um, and suffering a lot. But after the, you know, after the last few years, and certainly the last couple of years, I've been able to shear 10,000 plus sheep a year, as well as crutching uh, with lambs through the winter in the market, mainly still in the market. And fortunately now, I've got a couple of stints in Norway a year. So that's given me enough additional income that I could drop my hours in the police and focus more on the shearing. And of course, as I mentioned before, I'm doing the pregnancy scan now through the winter and that works quite well. Through the winter, I can fit that in with most of my days off on this part-time schedule I'm on now. So it basically means I can work every day, but it's um, it's not work when you enjoy it, as I say. Yeah, it sounds, me- I mean, it sounds mental. Do you do you do a lot of sleeping? I get enough. I get enough. <laughs> I'm, uh, there's certain times of year that can be quite, it can be quite brutal. But... Uh, Got to remember, as I was boys getting up to milk cows. At least I don't need to do that. So, Cammy, you're in a, a really hugely busy lifestyle. You know, you, uh, police work, which must be there, must be some real high pressure work in there, and and big days, and then obviously a big farming business. Are you work life balance? Is that is it a problem? Is it a, something you need to address? You know, have you have you gone maybe too far from a work perspective, or are you quite comfortable what you're doing? Is where you want to be? It's a good question, and it's a big thing in farming is getting the work-life balance. I'm in a fortunate position, and I suppose most farmers are like this, although some of them would maybe like to moan and, and say otherwise, is that like I love working with the sheep. I love shearing. I, I would rather go and do a day shearing than go hill walking or um, go to the beach or even, uh, even go on holiday and lie by the pool. Like I'd rather be in the shearing season going working, doing that every day. Don't get me wrong, there's, pl- there's a good few days through the winter when it's lashing a rain, you're guddling about at grazing, dozing sheep. I'd rather be at the pool then, but those <laughs> days, those days aren't... You know, the winter, the great thing of the winter is the days are short, so your hand's almost forced in the sheep business to, to finish up early and maybe go and do something else. So quite fortunate through the winter I have, you know, I'll go to the gym and... I do a bit of running as well, um, long distance running. There's not yeah. much you can do with sheep after sort of half past four in the Scottish winters, unless obviously some big fancy shed set up. But generally speaking, there'll not be many sheep farmers still working away with sheep at, after half past four. So it almost forces your hand to, to, to take, get an early finish. And then the winter's marking a time where I'm not as flat out. And I do spend time doing some recreational activities like running and different things like that but no work-life balance is a big thing i think too many people let themselves maybe get let their head drop a bit just it's a, it's a good there's a great saying and it's like if you always do what you've always done you'll always get what you've always got yeah and i just feel there's maybe some farmers and some set systems you know i generally not mean to offend them to hear anything like that where i think they just go through the same cycles every year and they maybe not you know they are struggling and things like that and maybe they just need to maybe reduce their workload or look to diversify or try something else, maybe a different breed of sheep or 
a different system with the cattle, just something else to maybe change things up, maybe allow them a bit more free time to, to do to do things. As obviously, mental health is a massive thing these days, yeah. and massive in farming as well. Yeah, the wet winters like it's never more um, to the forefront sort of thing when we're really struggling through the winters here. So I do think a big thing was maybe just if you are struggling, maybe look to trying something else. You know, even even just a change. Well, what does it say? Like a change is good as a rest. Maybe even just a change of your system or the change of what you're doing might be enough just to refresh your mind. And, and and you mentioned running there. Are you still competing? I know you were in Britain's fittest farmer and things. Are you still... Why, why would you embarrass me like that? <laughs> I, came I, was, second. I just liked that. I came second. It was the biggest shame of my life losing to was, that big guy for Orkney. Um, and there was, there was two people actually, in the competition, wasn't there? Funny you bring him up. Well, he was only two Scottish boys there and we came first and second. But more yeah. we do? Yeah. But uh, to actually bring him up, I was thinking, he, he actually made a good comment in the, his interview for that. He said, you know, it's like 24 hours in a day. Make one for yourself. Uh-huh. Um, and I actually thought that was good. He obviously copied that from somewhere because he's not smart enough to come up with that. But <laughs> <laughs> he'll listen to this and have a bad pant, it's fine. Yeah. But we're good mates. But um, yeah, he came up with that. He says, you know, 24 hours in a day, make one for yourselves. And I thought, do you know what? It's a good, it's a good way to quote that. Everybody's, everybody's got that from Gandhi or somebody. But <laughs> um, uh, yeah, it's, it's a good one. You know, set some time for yourself. Don't just keep suffering and struggling away. But yeah, no, I still I, I do I compete in the winters usually cross country when I'm a bit quieter. Mm-hmm. Um, just to, I uh, just enjoy it. Yeah, I just enjoy the, the fitness side of things, and it, it works well coming back through for shearing because you can get a bit stiff in the winter if you're not keeping fit. Too much time on the couch. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, a lot of people just go in, sit on the couch at five o'clock, and then that's them. Uh, again, I could talk about it for ages, but in terms of mental health, there's nothing gives me a bigger, um, I don't know if it's endorphins or whatever, and nothing gives me a bit a bigger lift mentally than exercising and just that feeling of of you know being fit and being healthy and yeah you know, you know i've never went for a run i'll say but i've never went for a run and come back feeling worse than when i set out mentally uh-huh. i mean i'm quite often dying but like I, I, mentally i always feel better after i've done it and it's getting over that doorstep. the hardest part of running for me is getting over that doorstep getting out once you're out you're into it but it's just getting yourself up and out and doing the exercise it doesn't have to be running it could be anything but uh, there's nothing better for your mental health, in my opinion. Obviously, this is all just my opinion than exercise. Uh, I think this, it's your opinion. It's also quite a lot of science and fact behind it too. You know, there's lots to suggest that exercise and, and you know balance is really what we're what we're needing for mental health. Uh, not too much work, not too much play, and uh, you know, balanced hard working lifestyle. Obviously, you've built this sheep business quickly and and built obviously a. Uh, pretty efficient sheep system certainly from a labour point of view where do you think that's going to take you where does your sheep enterprise what does it look like in the next five years it's a good question and probably going from the last point I keep myself that busy I don't I don't think too far ahead <laughs> however realistically I've got to think about finding my own place and having a, a proper base I'm quite fortunate as it is just now I, I run sheep at the uh, mother stays on a uh, the farm or a farm rather and I've got sheep facilities there and a lot of my sheep run at, at one block through the summers certainly so that's a big benefit for me to have somewhere to store machinery etc and keep my dogs and all that kind of stuff but it would be nice to have my own place certainly uh, there is opportunities there I think coming up I've certainly seen more and more of them. 
funny, after you said to me about these podcasts, I listened to a podcast and I can't remember the chap's name. Uh, there was a chap down there just telling us about getting one from Crown Estates and how there may be more opportunities coming up. So, I mean, he's an example of someone who's got a tenancy through them and they're now offering another one. So there is, there is opportunities coming, I think. I just need to get myself in as strong a position as possible that when I see the right one, I'm, I'm, I'm ready to move for it and, and get it, hopefully. Mm-hmm. Yep, yep. So uh, with that, you know, obviously there's quite a lot of uncertainty and disruption on the go, so Brexit coming and things. Are you viewing that as a, a positive for young people getting into farming? You know, probably it's a thing that older guys will be looking to get out. So is that something that you expecting a bit more opportunity on the horizon? Uh, I, I feel certainly over the last year or so, maybe the last two years, I've noticed more opportunities coming up for things. Even things like the forestry farms been made out to new entrants and there seems to be a big drive towards new entrants. And I think, which is good, of course, and I think I think that with older people, I'm maybe starting to become more aware of the things they can do between con- even contract farming is another option, getting a younger person into maybe either share farm or contract farm with a view to maybe taking things over you know, completely to let them retire. I think that's becoming more commonly known and farmers are maybe more moving over to the idea of, of doing something like that as opposed to just keeping the sub and being slipper farmers, as we say. It'd be interesting to see, obviously, depending, I don't, they'll never get to do it well. I'm not an expert in this. I can't imagine them really doing away with subsidies. I imagine they'd be there in some form, but certainly any reduction or change, even maybe towards food production, more back towards a sort of headage basis thing, that might be a real shake-up for things as well. Yep. yep. So it's interesting to see what happens in the future. It's not something I always say to people, it's not something I worry too much about because I'm in a fortunate position where I do have additional income and sheep are always going to need to be shown. So supposing the lamb job's pretty bad yes it's going to be a hit but it shouldn't cripple me i'm fortunate i don't have all my eggs in one basket yeah i think it's a big benefit you're probably in a better position to weather a storm than some others and perhaps on the other side of the storm when the sun comes out again you know be able to take on some opportunities down the line exactly exactly that's what i would like how i like to sort of position myself that should things as you say should the storm come i'm in a position that i can weather it and still be in a strong position on the other side that these opportunities will be there. And I, and I think they will be. I think as a good opportunity. There are opportunities out there just now for, for new entrants. I'm not saying there's, there's loads of them. I mean, again, to go back to this this one on Butte that came up, that tremendous farm, the plan, I believe there's about 30 or so people went to see that. I don't know how many applications actually went in, but it shows that there is the interest there for young people. Um, younger people want to get into farming, so... There's going to be competition for the places, but all we can do is put ourselves in as best position as possible. Yeah. Um, I think just you mentioned subsidies there, and I think it's an, a really important point to make that if you build your business nice and lean and capable of making money without subsidy, I like you, I think there will always, always be some form of support. And, and certainly almost, you know, when we look at climate change and all these public good types there's going to be some form of funding from the government. We don't know how much that will be or what it's for, but if you can build your business that's lean and you know pretty resilient, if then subsidy there is a good subsidy on the go, you're still eligible for it. So you're, you're in an even better financial position 
than somebody who was chasing subsidies. So it's I, I like the lean business idea and, and keeping costs out of the system. So I suppose with that, how important so you're renting a lot of grass? Is grass the powerhouse behind your business? Is that really what's what's driving everything, or are you putting a lot of feeding into the system too? Oh, very little feeding. In fact. I wouldn't have fed my sheep if it wasn't for the fact I was putting them in the shed to lamb them. That's the only reason I give them a bite. And I'm running mostly cross shows. Uh, that's mule yows, Scotch mule. There will be maybe 70 or 80 cheviot mules amongst them this year. Mm-hmm. And I'll be buying a lot of, I've bought a lot of yow lambs to, to run on and gimmer. I won't be putting the tuck to them, I'll just be keeping them on. Because my big issue, I've got, you know, I've got plenty of grass and to keep, almost to keep the labour, down and the amount of work involved down I don't heavily stock through the winter I try and make sure they have plenty of grass because I don't want to be running with feeding and bales to sheep all winter mm-hmm. I like to make sure they've got plenty of grass my sheep do well, they scan well they, they come in, they go you know when lambing time comes they're in good fettle and it's just a pleasure, I just enjoy that you know the winters we get here we're obviously Ayrshire based mm-hmm. and last year particularly they can be wet and long the amount of rain we got last winter was just wild. And if you're heavily stocked, because I've done it in bits before, I had just slightly too many sheep, and they just poach it up, and it just becomes a bit of a mess, and the sheep start going backwards pretty quickly, especially as the, the burden of the lambs on the sheep becomes yeah. more prevalent. They start to go backwards quite quickly, and it just causes stress, but I just don't enjoy it. I don't be, enjoy being in that situation. So I try and make sure my sheep have got plenty of grass through the winter. My, my big issue being sheep only and being rented ground at different bits is almost the summer is, is more of an issue for me. The winter's quite simple. Those sheep go there and that's enough grass for them and I can let them work away. Whereas in the summer, the grass management's pretty tough for me because you need so many more sheep to keep the grass down in the summer. And I know yeah. we've got we've got a big crop of lambs come through, so they'll start eating and stuff, and that helps. But still nowhere near near enough. So I shut shut a lot of grass off for for cutting for baling. That has its own issues as well because I've nowhere to store bales, so I'm relying on someone finding someone to take those bales, which I've been fortunate enough to do. But yeah, I always find my hardest times actually the summer um, for the grass management, just the sheer amount of grass you have and keeping on top of it and keeping it. You don't yeah. want it just to grow and and. and die off essentially because it's going to be no use for your winter again so that's where the that takes a bit of planning a bit of organization just to make sure everything's going to come good again for the winter where i can then stock them appropriately and let them run and have no hassles so you're obviously buying in replacements and things are you looking to go head down the road of breeding your own replacements or are you going to keep it simple and just keep buying in as you do at the moment well, actually, at the moment, I've, I've just I've been bred on replacements the last two years, actually. Oh, okay. Um, so this this year, just the amount of grass I've got at the moment, with the first year sort of buying in, that's the first year. Three years ago, I bought in a fair amount of mules to get me started. To be fair, but I um, this will be the first year sort of buying in new lambs with a view to gimmering them and and selling them, and then I would still look to keep. I'm running about 120 cheviot yows. I'd still be looking to keep my own replacements off of them. Mm-hmm. Um, Toying me, me a few ideas just now, I'm thinking some thoughts about maybe going towards the Aberfield uh, type thing. I'd, I'd spoke to yourself, obviously you're running clean yows there, I'd spoke to yourself about maybe getting some yow lambs and maybe going down that route with keeping clins. I'm quite a big fan of them. Yeah. And maybe crossing them over with the Aberfield. I'm trying, trying new things, certainly. I just, I mean, 
I really, I love mules. I, I do love mules, but I have a real issue with blueface Leicester pups, and they just don't really suit my system. So it'd be good to work with something like the Aberfield, producing maybe a more efficient, a smaller sheep, but maybe maybe a bit more efficient. They can maybe run more of them. So I'm looking looking towards that in the future. But the idea this year was to buy a load of ewe lambs and gimmel them. Mm-hmm. And the, the other side of that is that will hopefully help me with my problem in the summer with having too much grass because I won't put the top to them. I'll run them through, get them through the winter, and then that's me got a lot of extra mouse in the summer to put yep. to different bits of grazing. And I don't need to worry about running to them, dealing with lambs all the time. They're a lower thing. priority group, aren't they? They're, or, or certainly in that kind of early, you know, spring lambing time that you can probably rough them a wee bit and then give them better grass through the summer and, and still get a good product out of them. Exactly, exactly. And all you need to do is, you know, give them a dose, shear them, click them, put them to the grass. It, that, that's that's the great thing as well. It's, it's lower input, less labour, and it, it's a lot of mouse to keep my grass down. As opposed to working with using lambs, you've got constant worries of checking them for various things uh, that can go wrong as they do. Just thinking about labour, and obviously your labour is probably the limiting factor. You've got so much on. Wool's obviously a big draw, a big demand in labour. We're obviously not receiving much for wool, but I think at the same time, you've got to look at the price we're getting for fat lambs and cassiaus and things that on the whole, the sheep job, wool's become a cost this year, but it's, uh, you know, I think we've all got to have a look and, and realise that sheep are in a pretty good position at the moment, aren't they? Well, I tell you, if you're not making money at sheep just now, then you need to have a good look at yourself. Uh, that, that there's a fantastic position just now and long may it continue. Yeah. Uh, my thing with the wool... I always say to people, I know it's a particularly bad year this year, but generally speaking, the wool will really cover the cost of the clipping and time you count, paying the shearer, and then your, your other additional staff that you need in and hauling the wool, it's really going to cover it. But this year is particularly bad. An example I always put to people is your shearing. Shearing's essential. You, I mean, you can't not shear your sheep. That's just how it is. Whereas people are, I always find people are quite happy to pay. 50, 60 pence a head for scanning their sheep, which isn't essential. It doesn't matter. You could dress it up. Ah, it's essential for certain systems, but that's not an essential service. But nobody ever complains about the fact there's no... I, I know the product return will be that you save in feeding and various things like that. But every, no one ever moans about that. But it's They moan about the shearing type thing, but it's an essential service. And I, I don't think there's many people rely on wool anymore as, yeah. as any sort of income. I just think most people, it's just a case of we get what we get and that's it. There's nobody thinking we're going to pay the farm rent with it anymore. And it's sad that it is that way. And I, I know there's a lot of online petitions and stuff going on just now to try and make we'll, uh, you know, get it back into making it more common for UK insulation and, and carpets and try and do something better with it. But the reality is we don't we don't produce quality wool here. Like, it's the wool we're producing here is not really much use for anything of value. And, and that's just the way it is, as you say, it benefits us that we're producing fat lambs or um, prime lambs and they're up 30 pence on the year, still at this time of year. Yeah. That's over £2 a kilo. It's a fantastic, and I'd rather have that than an extra 20 pence a kilo for my will. So yeah. long may it continue. I mean, the only thing I would change in my sheep system at the moment is I would reduce the cost of that clipping. That's it. Certainly <laughs> we need to, need to talk about. But uh, so, joking aside, shearing obviously has been a big part of getting you into the industry, and 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 probably what sowed the seed of of wanting to keep sheep. Is shearing? Would you say it's one of the best routes for 
young people to get into get into farming, get involved in the industry? Well, as you know, I'm just crazy passionate about shearing. I just think it is. Ah, you know what I'm like. I just I, I can't say enough about it. <laughs> the, even just the community in shearing, so much about it. The, the networking thing is the biggest thing. Well, twofold, the networking thing and also the financial benefits. There is nothing, no other jobs in farming, I don't think, that unless you've got a good degree or something, you're doing something academic, there's no other jobs in farming where you're going to make as much money as shearing sheep. There's a reason for that, and that's because it's absolutely brutal, yep. especially to, to get started. Once you've done it for a few years, it's actually it's, it's tiring, but it's not, it's not very hard on your body. Because you get the hang of it and you get better at it, but it, it, what most boys can't do is they can't get past that first two or three years. Boys will try and want to be shearers and they'll, they'll fade away. We see it all the time. It takes a real... I always joke that the reason I stuck at it was just sheer poverty. But sometimes, you know, there's a lot of examples in that in shearing. A lot of shearers are like shepherds boys and stuff like that. You don't have so many... I mean, there is examples, but you don't have so many shearers that are like wealthy farmers' sons. Because it's, it's, it's easier to, and I don't mean, if I offend people, I apologise, it is easier to go and sit in a tractor for 10, 12 pounds an hour all summer than it is to go shearing sheep. <laughs> Especially at the beginning, when you're only getting 100 pounds a day doing 100 sheep and you're in agony. But as that builds up, like the sky's the limit, you can go, you can travel the world, shear all year, between here, New Zealand, Australia, get a gig in Norway, travel down to England, Italy, all the, you can see the world and make a lot of money. And as I say, the networking, the different systems you'll see as well, traveling to all these different places and even traveling to different farms in Scotland. Yep. I see so many different sheep systems. I might see something and think, do you know what, that's a clever idea. Like, I wouldn't mind trying that. And you talk to the farmers and they tell you what they're doing. You know, like yourself, you're running, you know, a different system to what I'm running. You know, you go, I was obviously doing that massive farm in Northumberland. He's running 6,500 sheep. There's a totally different system again. It's it's just really good for the educational point of view, the networking, the finance. It's a great way to to get yourself started in farming, and as it, it I just, it's going to be hard to get yourself set up and make enough money working for an early rate, unless you are on, you know, you have got some degree and you've got some high paid job. That's fair enough, but I can't recommend it highly enough. As you can tell, I could go on about it for ages. You're thirty now. You're getting a wee bit longer in the tooth. Um, when yeah. when's retirement date? How long are you going to see her for? Oh well. I can't retire while James Andrews still shearing. But <laughs> imagine. <laughs> so James Andrews, for, for those of you that don't know James, uh, James he's 52. Yeah. And still faster than Cammy. Yeah, just an absolute machine. <laughs> absolute machine. So uh, just a bit of a bit of a legend. So I just uh, I can't I can't jack it until he does. So yeah. I probably got it for another 20 years yet. Yeah. I just enjoy it so much. I mean, I had a fantastic year this year. Honestly, body felt great, felt fit, did my biggest year ever. I just really, really enjoyed it. So I look, yeah, I look forward to it every year. And, you know, as I say to people, you've just got to remember people like me saying things like that when you're starting out and you're really suffering and you're maybe watching guys on the same trailer as you doing three times as many as you. you just got to think, you know, that'll be you in a couple of years and see it out. And then that's kind of where I am just now. I'm fortunate that I can go and do a day's sharing and, and really enjoy it and not be, not be suffering all the way home. And have you missed the competitions and things this year? Obviously, no Highland Show or no shows. Has that been a detrimental or have you just got your head down and got on with it? I definitely miss them because I like going to the shows. I definitely miss them and hopefully they're back next year because it is a big loss. You know, just for the social side of things and the networking, like most shearers in Scotland and England will be the same. Most shearers know each other. 
through doing shows and things like that. It's quite a, a sort of tight-knit community because there's so few people doing it. So they're great for that side of things. But on the other hand, Athletics got a lot more work done because we're yeah. not thinking, oh, we're going to lose three days for the Highland show. I'm going to lose a day to go to Lachernhead or down to you know, the Yorkshire show. You just could shear right through. You didn't need to think about any of that. And the farmers were the same. It wasn't a case yeah. of, uh, I can't shear the sheep this weekend. I've got the Highland. It's just that, right, yeah, let's crack on, keep shearing. So no, there was benefits that way. We get, we get through things a lot quicker, which helped because we're relying on UK shearers this year. There was obviously no New Zealand yeah. help. And yeah. but it sounds uh, speaking to a lot of the bigger contractors, from what I believe, they'll be continuing with the boys have brought through this year. So yeah. it looks like there'll be very few New Zealand contractors, uh, New Zealand shearers over next year. And it's great which, to hear, which, the, way, the way coronavirus is going, they may not get over again next yeah. year anyway. And, and I mean, there's, there's nothing better than, like you say, that even as a farmer, when the shearers come in and there's a Kiwi or somebody you can speak to and new folk to meet, but we were really worried, I think that the industry was really worried that wool would be a major welfare issue this year that there wouldn't be enough folk to shear sheep and it's great to see i mean shearers stepped up to the plate got on with it probably certainly in this area pretty challenging season weather wise as well and we're finished for re- re- I, pretty much normal time uh, it, yeah 100 percent. it really helped the very warm uh, and early spring or uh, almost early summer we got it really helped because people wanted to go earlier and start shearing back in May, which for this area is, is not very common. So we've got a real good head start this year. Added to that, the fact that I think there'd be a lot of boys that would usually go over to Italy and you know, certainly a lot of Welsh boys and that I think would usually be going into Europe to do a bit of shearing. They obviously weren't able to do that. So we had extra numbers in the UK. And I know there's a lot of Welsh boys up here shearing, but a lot of young Scottish boys getting started as well. And I did say that at the start of this whole thing. is like, if you want to get into shearing, this is your chance. Try and find a stand, uh, you know, and chip away. And the contractor's not going to mind if you're only doing 100 a day because it fills a stand. And it keep, it's 100 less, exactly, when there's not a lot of shearers about. And I think that a lot of contractors have done that and brought young boys through. So it should bode well for shearing, you know, moving forward. Certainly UK shearing, moving forward. You mentioned your father was a shepherd, but have you had other any other mentoring type mentors or, or, or people that have been a, a real significant help to your business? Yeah, so obviously I started out learning a lot about sheep through my father being a shepherd. And then in two, well, when I was 25, he passed away. That was that avenue of his expertise and his knowledge that I could lean on. That was that gone. So I then looked to sort of find myself a mentor that I could ask all these farming questions. Because when you're first starting out, well, certainly me, I didn't know if £100 an acre was a lot of money for ground or was that just a going rate? Like, I didn't know how you go about claiming subsidies, you know, what what were subsidies? How did you qualify? Where do you get the entitlements? I didn't know any of these things. It was, you know, I would try to buy sheep and I'd think, you know, is £120 for a gimmer? Is that a lot of money or is that a good price? So it's good to, to find yourself a mentor. And although it wasn't solely through this, I got the Farm Advisory Service. Got, um, I was linked up previously, but we, we also did it through the Farm Advisory Service with James Andrews, we spoke about before. And it was good just to have his knowledge. I say he's, he's 52. Better not mention that too often to upset him. 52 going on 30. <laughs> and uh, the great thing was he's always at the end of the phone. I could phone and say, listen, this ground's 100 quid an acre. What do you think? Obviously, he'd tell me far too dear. And then I would take it anyway, but that's by the by. Uh, so I would I would always have somebody to lean. So that is another big bit of advice I would say is get yourself a mentor. If you don't have someone... You can go through the Farm Advisory Service. If you are a new entrant to farming, you can go through the Farm Advisory Service. They have a sort of 
a scheme where the, the mentor would get paid just a small amount for, for their time and it might link you up with another great contact, almost links back to the networking side of things. You've then got this mentor that you can lean on, phone, ask the questions that you don't know the answers to. It's a great service, actually. It's a great arrangement, really, and, and it gives you... So James, at, at 52, obviously, he's got a whole load of other things on. He's running a big business himself, and you can be in the position where you think, oh, can I phone him again? Whereas mm-hmm. when he's getting... You know, he's getting a, basically an, an allowance for being your mentor. You feel an awful lot less guilty about phoning because, you know, he's getting something out of it too. And, and it's great to see those kind of relationships building and uh, and developing. And, and it's interesting because, you know, at what point do you then become a mentor as well? So is that something down the line you would you would look to, you know, help somebody else up as well, become a mentor and, and help a young guy along? I, I would hope that that would come with experience. As you're touching on the area, but James running a big business. If if he's not done it, then it's probably never been done. Um, you know, he's he's done about everything over the years, so he's got a lot of experience in different forms of, of farming, uh, including renting ground, a lot of experience in those kind of things as well, and buying stock. So he's perfect for what I was trying to do. But if you're maybe trying to get into something else, the Farm Advisory Service does have quite a, a list of people already on the books. In fact, well, James is on the books <laughs> if anybody's wanting advice, uh, a mentor for, for getting started in sheep. So, you know, they have, they will be able to put you on with someone. And as you say, the big thing is you don't feel that guilt, like, oh, I don't want to annoy them again, because they're getting a, a, an amount of money for doing that service. So that takes away that almost like, reservation that you would have for phoning them it makes you more relaxed and you phone them and because you're both gaining out of it so yeah no it's, it's, a, it's a great system and i would obviously i would love to and i hope through my youtube and things like that i'm maybe passing on some information that i've gained from other people but i would i'd love to help anyone that needs a hand in the future of course as an industry we're not the whole agricultural industry we're not very good at pointing out how good our industry is and i think new entrants are probably an awful lot better at being a bit of a shop window and, and talking up the, you know, the good parts and the really trying to encourage other new entrants to get in. You're doing quite a lot of interesting, I was going to say work, I'm not sure if it is work, but the, <laughs> and I'm sure it's, it takes a long time to produce it all, but can you uh, run us through what the Sheep Game is all about? Okay, so, it's, uh, so the Sheep Game is a YouTube page that I started Basically, I used also I started because I used to do a lot of Snapchatting while I was working, and again that was a great kind of social thing because it can you're quite an isolated job quite often working with sheep and farm work in general you're yourself but used to get good banter doing Snapchat stories of what I was doing and, and various things especially because I've got a lot through my other work I've got a lot of friends in the town and stuff that just never seen anything like that so it started from that and one day somebody said should have a go at doing YouTube because there's this guy, his name's Tom Pemberton, and that watches YouTube will know of him. He's massive down in England. So I watched some of his vlogs and I thought, he's just cutting a bit of dairy farm, you know, doing mundane jobs and making them into really good videos. So I thought, I can maybe, you know, the amount of different things I'm doing between shearing and scanning and running all over the place, I thought, I can maybe have a go at this. So I got a GoPro and I've started doing some videos and, yeah, it seems to be really popular, folks. I've been fantastic, really good feedback. I get good comments all the time. I try and keep it very lighthearted. It's quite heavy on the banter and not too heavy on the preaching, hopefully. Uh, I try and explain a lot of the things I do, but you know, it's a case of like not teaching my granny to suck eggs. I've a lot of people watching it a lot more experienced than I am, so I don't want to come across like I know it all. In fact, I think I make it clear on the videos that I don't know it all and I'm, I'm learning as I go. But hopefully anything I, I put on there, I can fact check it and make sure I'm not 
misleading anyone. So yeah, it's been really popular. I really enjoy doing them, especially through the shearing season. It's been good and a bit of competitiveness with some of the boys and seeing different parts of the country. So uh, if anyone's interested in that, it's called The Sheep Game on YouTube. Have a look. Again, it's almost a brand thing, isn't it? So it's part of the Cami Wilson story. And do you think going forward, so if you are applying for a tenancy or something more, a more formal uh, arrangement with somebody, is part of it about building that story and, and, and getting yourself out there? I don't think it's going to hurt me um, having having this and maybe people get to know you a bit. I, I, well, you obviously know me quite well. I don't think anything that's on my YouTube is fake or anything like that. I generally, I like to have a laugh all the time. I don't take many things too serious. Uh, you know, and I, hopefully that comes across in the videos. And I, I think getting yourself maybe known a bit and, and showing people what you're doing and that you're working hard and trying to get somewhere, it's not going to do you any harm. Rather than just writing it in a bit of paper saying, or, you know, I do this and, and I do that, which is fine, of course, um, absolutely fine. But uh, from the question you're asking me, I don't think it's going to hurt me any having these videos. Um, yeah. I should be fine. Basically, you're four or five years in, obviously thoroughly enjoying it, living and breathing what you're doing. Um, what advice would you give to somebody who is, you know, looking to start out in some form of farming? What advice would you give them at the moment? Yeah, so... Uh, uh, over uh, something I've already mentioned, but the networking is the big thing. Um, obviously, you need experience as well. Uh, some people might think, oh, I want to get into sheep, but you might not actually know that much about sheep. And easy for me to say, but I think it'd be easy to get yourself out there. You don't always have to be paid for your work. Like Money is not the only form of payment. If you can go and get, say, go and do a hill gather or go and just give somebody a hand dozing some sheep or doing some sheep work for a, few, a couple of months just in your spare time, you know, the, the stuff you'll learn there worth as much as any money you would make from it. So if you might offer your services to somebody for free, just for your own benefit to learn, that's a great way to, to learn about sheep before you get started. Because it's pretty tough if you just dive in, get yourself a lot of sheep, and you have no idea what you're doing. That's where things can go a bit wrong. And that through that as well, you get the networking side of things. You go to some farms, speak to some farmers, you're doing them a good turn. They'll put some feelers out for you. People get to know you. You're hard. You know you're hard working. You're obviously keen to go in because you're you're making that effort to learn. Things like that will stand you in good stead. So networking's a massive thing. And as I said before, not going into it thinking you're going to make a living out of you know a couple hundred sheep. You, you need to have some sort of other income to support you in the early stages because things are expensive. You're going to need you're going to need equipment. You know, even if you're just borrowing it, which is fine, I would look to maybe try and do that as much as you can because the less big outlays you have initially, the better. But things are expensive. Feed's expensive. Dozing stuff's expensive. I mean, I bought a clicks 200 quid. You know, that, that all adds up. And then you've got to wait for your crop of lambs to pay for all the, your expenses. Whereas if you've got this other additional income, that can kind of offset that and, and can keep you going through the leaner months when you don't have lambs to sell or big, big bags of wool to sell, it can keep you going. Uh, so those, those are my two main things, is get the networking in, get to know people through, if you're young enough, get to the young farmers, go and get experience working on farms. It's amazing how that journey, you know, you start off with exactly what you're saying is 
don't make it your sole income source. And then a few years pass and you grow and take on some opportunities and suddenly you land up in the position you're in where you're reducing hours and you're heading, you know, you're you're heading towards that point where you're not a policeman with a farm, you're a farmer that does a bit of police work. So it's you know, it's it's nice to see that that kind of journey happening. But it's got to start somewhere. So Cami, I just want to thank you very much. I've thoroughly enjoyed that today uh, and I hope our listeners have too. So thank you very much. Yeah, thanks very much, Robert. That was great. Thank you for listening to this Farm Advisory Service podcast. Next episode, we'll be in conversation with farmer Colin Hunter about soil conservation and sustainable farming. Be sure to tune in for that.